Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So we are in soul success as uh, derived by a very fast muscle car that Chevrolet made just for me to do this series because they put SS right on the front grill. So when you see this car coming to run over uh, your demonic problems, you're going to know that soul success is what smacked it in the head. Third John, verse 2. You can do it, Steve. Third John, verse 2. Beloved. Who's that? For all of you that didn't know what the answer was, it's you. Amen. I want you to get an A on all the quizzes. So, beloved, that's you. Beloved is a really powerful term. We didn't just name beloved church because it like rhymes or something. Beloved means the ones who are greatly loved. So, you're in a building gathered with a group of people who have come together under the banner of being greatly loved. And that that's both. It's greatly loved of the Father and greatly loved of us. I love hearing uh, when guests come, because you're only allowed to be a guest once, so if you've been here more than once, your family. <laughs> Sucks for you. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Welcome to the family. <clears throat> We got a crazy Uncle Bob. We got <laughs> got the weird father figure type up here who nobody claims. <laughs> Welcome to the family. Um, we, <clears throat> one of the, the greatest blessings that I have as pastor and founder of Beloved Church is that when guests come, they're like, oh my God, these people are really kind. They're really loving around here. Like they're sincere and genuine with their love. It super blesses me. And then my next thought is, Dear Lord, what church have you been going to? Because <laughs> I know some people come from other churches. I know a bunch of you have not been in any churches because we've led some of you to the Lord. There are people that have been born again that have never been in churches until they've been here. <clears throat> But I know that there's also a ton of people that have been in the building that you've gone to other churches. And if your, your testimony is, is, oh my God, I'm really loved here. Then by default, what that means is you are not loved there. I'm not being mean on your other church or whatever. Like if you're still committed there, God bless you. That's fine. I'm totally cool with that. I am very secure in what we're doing at Beloved Church. And if you come, you are welcome. If you don't, you're... Please go have a great time where you go. Let the Father develop you. But we have really allowed this not to be our name, but to be this our nature. We have a culture, a culture here. 
that we have been very passionate and purposeful about building. And I, I get it, not everybody likes the culture. We People have come, people have gone, people have been blessed, some people have just tolerated it. I, I get all that. But we have been purposeful about this culture, specifically you knowing, experiencing, and having revelation of you being greatly loved. If that's not happening, we're failing. Or you're not receiving it. And both of those happen. Has anybody ever wanted to love someone that didn't get permission from that person? It happens all the time, beloved. It happens all the time. How many people does the Father love that don't receive His love? Don't assume that just if the love was perfect, you'd experience it. That is a very ignorant position to be in. Don't assume that if God was giving you grace, you'd be experiencing it. If God was giving you healing, you'd be experiencing it. If God was giving you uh, prosperity, you'd be experiencing Do not make that assumption. That is a terrible, false, and demonic assumption to make. The Father is pouring out on you grace, is pouring out on you love, is pouring out on you a favor, is pouring out adoration. He thinks great thoughts towards you. He is always trying to encourage you and build you up. If you are not receiving that, it's not because God is broken. And it's not even because you're broken. It could be a wire between the two is broken. And what I want to do is I want to deal with that wire. That wire is usually your soul. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to wire up your soul. Because if your soul experiences prosperity, your physical body, your finances, your emotion, everything in your life is going to start flowing with that energy that's coming out of the Spirit of God, which is His great love, His grace, His power, His ability in your life. So if you give me permission, I'm going to come in there with my soldering iron and my welder and my mechanic tools, and I am going to... I'm going to wrench stuff. I'm going to hammer some things. I'm going to do some work in there. But I promise, if you just chill, I'll get her fixed. The energy will flow. And you're going to experience what you were created to experience. Beloved, above all things, this is my great desire. Not only mine, this is the Father's, but this is also the Apostle John's great desire for the people that he greatly loves. Beloved, you who I greatly love, Above all things, I want you to experience divine health and divine prosperity. There's a difference in divine health and health, and there's a difference in divine prosperity and prosperity. Bob talked about prosperity. The lowest form of prosperity is money. Those of you that hear the word prosperity and you immediately like, Oh God, one of those churches. Yeah, We're one of those churches. We believe that the Father wants you prosperous. We are not one of those churches that believes that the Father wants you cursed. (laughs) That the Father wants you broke. That the Father wants you living under a bridge. Defecating on yourself. Hungry. Broke. (laughs) We are not that church. If you want that church, 
Go quick, because those are the churches that are probably shutting down. (laughs) We believe what the Father believes. That if God is in your life, He is going to Godify everything in your life. (laughs) Just think about it. If God was your accountant... I know some of you can't think that way. But just think about it for a moment. If God was your accountant... Would your financial health be different? If God was in charge of your checkbook. If the God that took two fish and five loaves was in charge of your paycheck. Anybody? Anybody. If that God was in charge, would things be different? Okay, I got two yeses. All right. I'll preach to those two. Amen. The rest of you, just, I don't know, just hang out and listen to me. The prosperity of God and the health of God is different. Human health is, you're not in the hospital dying. That's not God's health. (laughs) Jesus didn't wake up on a Tuesday and be like, oh my God, 33 years old, this is rough, fellas. (laughs) Woo! I don't know. Got some back issues. Peter, you got any fish oil? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Stop. We all know, like, the Lord didn't, that didn't happen. He was giving away health incessantly. <laughs> That's divine health. Divine health, being divinely healthy means you have more than enough for yourself and giving it away. That's the definition of prosperity. More than you need for yourself and giving it away. And if that's money, then it's fine. If it's, if it's emotional, if it's love, you can't give what you don't have. If you believe that you're supposed to affect the world in some way, and it takes money, the only way to do that is to have the money to do that. So if you reject God bringing money into your life because you think poverty equals humility, then you have told God that you are not going to change that thing in the world. Just because you have, I, I, can, I can promise you, I can pinky swear to anybody in this room, if my income changed by a million dollars this year up, by the way, not down, but if my income went up a million dollars this year, it would change my lifestyle like nil. I love the house that I live in. I like my Ford F-150. I'm a Ford F-150 guy. My wife and daughter dress me. They do a great job, right? No, 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 no. That's a welfare clap. <laughs> I asked for it. Even got a pocket square. Yeah? You know I would never do this. Like if it was me, I'd be up here in a t-shirt and unshaven. and that. <laughs> I, I love my life. I would give a ton more. If my income went up a million dollars, it would be a 
there'd be a bunch of people that would find like secret things happening in their life. Like, oh my God, what happened to my mortgage? I don't know. It just went away. That's what I would do with a million dollars. If you would have a million dollars and be like the people that you read the stories about winning the lottery, a guy died. Who was that shared the story with me? This is going to be a little bit PG-13. So a guy won the lottery and golded, gold-plated or golded whatever you do to your teeth. He did the teeth thing. He got, um, he did the piercings that went from here to here with gold chains and he gold covered his manhood can we say that is that okay he gold covered his manhood and died from it it killed him his family is suing the person that gold plated his manhood I'm like that's funny to get what? <laughs> anyway, it's funny. I guess it's funnier to me. That's what happens when the inside of you doesn't change, and you get stuff that comes in your life. One of my uh, one of my financial mentors says that money is an accentuator. All that money does is accentuate what you already have. So if you're a generous person and you get money, it accentuates your generosity. If you're a loving person and you get money, it accentuates your love. You use that money to show love. If you are a greedy person, you get money, it accentuates your greed. If you're a self-centered person and you get money, it accentuates your self-centeredness. So if you've got a problem with money, usually you probably have a problem on your insides. But the Father desires for you to prosper. Prosper is different than rich. Rich is the world's version. That's just like getting all the stuff you can, and then canning all the stuff that you get, and then sitting on your can. And I'll be honest, like this is the goal for most of the world. Most of the world's gold, uh, goal, <laughs> and gold, most of the world's goal is to get everything you can, Keep it so nobody can take it. And then hopefully you got enough that when you turn 62.5, that you don't have to do anything for anybody ever. And buy an RV and drive around and look at Yellowstone National Park. That's the American dream, y'all. That's the American dream. And that, that is so terrible. That is so terrible. And I don't have time to break that down. That is not success. That is actually a special place that I call slavery. Because you have committed the best years of your life to the slavery of what you think the future is going to look like. And if you knew the number of people that I knew that are 62 and a half and they got to their cute little pension thing and they, they retired and they got their RV and they are so sick that they can't leave the state, And they are so messed up in their family dynamics and relationships that, you know, because they got to that age where the kids all moved out and they can't stand each other as a couple. And that is not prosperity. And that is not the goal. The father has no problem making you rich in your 20s. 
Amen, said the two people in their 20s. Bob and Cindy. Bob and Cindy just turned 22 this week. What God cares about is the health of your soul. He doesn't care about the size of your wallet. This is why a lot of people get irritated when preachers stand up here and they ask for offerings. Because you're selfish. (laughs) You think we're asking for it for us. (laughs) Because that's what people think. Like if anybody that wants you to give obviously has to be asking you to give to them. And you don't realize it, but by default you do this to God. If God says, hey, I'd like your life, I would like your whole life, the average person will say, well, what am I going to have? If I give you my life, well, then what do I have? And that's why people don't do it. They think that giving God something subtracts their quality and quantity of life. If I give God my money, I'll have less money. If I give God my time, I'll have less time. If I give God my worship, I have less for myself. (laughs) God never takes anything and it reduces. God always adds. The problem is is that what you have has not been divine yet. And so he wants to take it so he can divine it and give it back to you. The life that you have, if you have not completely committed it to him, all he wants to do is he just wants to get it so he can divine it up and then give it back to you. Then you're like, I didn't know life could be this way. I know because you didn't give it to him before and you were doing it your way and then your way sucks. His way is divine. Now you got a divine taste. You should probably give him more. Amen. Amen, says all the people that gave him that and they experienced that and they got it back and they're like, wow, I didn't know it could be this good. Amen. This is going to happen in your finances and in your health as you allow it to happen in your soul, even as your soul prospers. Your soul is, the Greek is this word psyche, and it talks about emotions, it talks about personality. It talks about mental disposition, the way you think, the way you believe. Your life is perfectly congruent with what you believe. Perfectly. Perfectly. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Now, you might be a victim, at least in your mentality, and you think that the reason your life is jacked up or terrible or there's bad things is because somebody else. But the Bible says that's not true. Your life is an exact derivative of what you believe. If you're oppressed, depressed, angry, upset, if you're a terrorist, you know, whatever, hopefully you're not. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. But, but whatever it is, you are the one that has produced that. You are of the God kind. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you agree or not, it doesn't matter. You are of the God kind. And God's, one of God's main nature and characteristics is creator. You are creating your world. 
You're either doing it with God's help, and it's beautiful and divine. It's Garden of Eden. Or, you're doing it on your own power, based upon what you believe your world is supposed to look like, and it's probably not as divine. And I know people get mad at me when I say that. I've had so many people sit in my office and they literally said, Pastor, this is going on and this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. I've literally... <laughs> I won't... Well, actually, none of you know them. This happened like literally like six months ago. This person sat there and everything in their life was undone. They were going through a divorce. Their money was jacked up. Their kids hated them. They were unhealthy. Like, if any way that you could measure things being terrible... And I said... In, a, in the most compassionate, empathetic way I could. I'm like, why did you let this happen? And they were like, I didn't do it. I, and it hit me like a, like a slap across the face like, oh, I get it. You're sick, not because of you. You're broke, not because of you. You're getting divorced, not because of you. Your kids don't like you because of not you. Your boss fired you from your job because of not you. And they literally believed everything, like their boss was a hater, and like every one of those things, they literally believed it. Do you know how hard it is to unravel that when you believe that your life has been caused by someone else? Please don't, beloved. Please don't understand that your life is exactly taking the shape of what you are creating through your words and through your belief systems. Hey, I got one amen on that. That's pretty good. I, I didn't expect any. So one is better than zero. Proverbs 30, uh, Psalms 35, 27 Says, let, says, let them shout for joy and be glad. That was pretty lame. I'm just like, I have no condemnation, but that it says shout for joy, not shout because I read the words like and that, and I'm not fussing at nobody. But if you can't be joyful in God's house with God's people about what God is doing in your life, that's probably one of the reasons that. Things aren't the way they could be. Any hooser. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. God has a righteous cause that he wants to bring into your life. It is righteous. Believe it or not, God does righteous things. And this is his righteous cause. His righteous cause is for you to say Continually. Oh, that terrible government's doing bad things all the time, and I can't believe people are those things and the stuff. It's not the end of the verse. That's how our world operates, but that's not what the Bible says. What we are supposed to do, at least the ones that have joy working in them because we believe that our Father is doing amazing things in our lives, we are supposed to say continually... Father, I want you to be magnified and have pleasure in prospering me. <laughs> most people think like that's the most self-centered, 
and unrighteous and ungodly thing that you could ever do. Is to stand in front of your father and say, Father, I want you to be, to have pleasure. I want my life to bring you pleasure by allowing you to prosper me. I, I didn't put this in the Bible. If I'd have wrote the Bible, it'd have been way different. I didn't write this. And if you struggle with that, that should be a clue as to what you believe about God's love, God's goodness, and God's grace towards you. Please meditate on that. Last week, what we talked about was Jesus needing, and I know people are going to struggle with that, but Jesus needed help in his soul. And I showed you scripturally how he went to his disciples to get them to pray for him in a dark time in his life, and they were busy sleeping. Amen. I feel like Jesus a lot when I preach, because people are giving me the head bob. And I used to struggle with them, like, man, do I not preach good enough to keep people awake? And then I realized (laughs) that people fell asleep on Jesus all the time. It's not the quality of preaching. (laughs) So now I'm way okay with it. You want to fall asleep? Have fun. Fall asleep. (laughs) I get it. It's a peaceful place. I have one of those voices. We, we, we We talked about Jesus needing to have his soul secured, to have his soul ministered to. Because the disciples fell asleep, the Father would not allow Jesus' soul to be broken. And so the Father sent messengers. And I alluded to the fact that I'd love to tell you a great revelation that I have on angels. It's kind of a big one. Um, I I don't have time to do it. Sorry. I know a bunch of people are like, but it's, I don't have time. I'll just tell you this. The word agalos in the Bible is the word that we have for angels. And in every, if you look it up in a concordance, one of the things that the, that the writer of the concordance will tell you in the definition, you have to look at context to figure out whether this is a person or this is a spiritual being. Because the word agalos in the Greek means messenger. It literally means messenger. Every time you see the word angel in the New Testament, it is the word Messenger. I will tell you right now that a majority of times that it is used as referencing like an angel from heaven, a spirit being from heaven, from the Father, is not an appropriate usage of the term messenger. For example, Paul, when he was talking about his thorn in the flesh, he said that there was a messenger Satan sent to buffet him. It was not an angel. I can prove it because Jude said that the angels that fell are in chains and they're not working in this world. They are literally bound. Every angel that fell with Satan is bound. You're not fighting against angels. Right? 
Ephesians that we don't wrestle against, or First uh, Corinthians says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. And everything that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. You know what's not in that list? Angels. Because you're not. The only angel you'll ever experience is an angel from God, and it's good. (laughs) You're not going to fight an angel. Anyway. Paul said that a messenger from Satan sent. And you can look in context, and you can go in the book of Acts and find out that that messenger was a person that was jacking with him. Satan has messengers that jack with you. Is anybody shocked? Anybody? God also has messengers that try to build you up. They're not angel beings from heaven with wings. They're pastors. (laughs) No. Don't. ah. You had your chance right when I said it. You don't get to think about it and then be like, yeah, we love you, Pastor Steve. So I showed you, I showed you scripturally that, that Jesus required ministry in his soul. And the Father was faithful to bring it when his disciples were unfaithful to do it. The reason that's important is because we do not want to be unfaithful with each other. Amen. And I could go a hundred directions right there. But I hope that sits. Heaven literally has a purpose for you to minister to someone likely right next to you. And oftentimes, the people that are closest to her are the ones that we put the most guilt on, shame on, condemnation, terrible wording to. I'd, I, could, I could fix most marriages that come to me for marriage counseling by just telling them the only thing that you're allowed to say to your spouse is how much you love them. And how valuable they are. If you just fix that. Those of you that are married, if you just fix that, I'll guarantee about 95% of your marriage problems will just disappear. It'll be magical. Like a unicorn. (laughs) Because you become what you look at. What, What you look at, what you talk about, you become. If you tell your wife all the time how beautiful she is, how perfect she is, how amazing she is, fellas, it will be, it's, I, I can't explain it. It's like she turns into that. Either that or you change. The more you condemn them, the more they either A, turn into that, or the more you're looking for things to condemn. What you look for, you'll find. If you look for it, you'll find it. So I showed you through Jesus how he needed to have this ministry, and the Father was secure enough to send him angels to minister to him because the disciples failed. The Father will always be faithful. And whether the ministry that your soul needs is going to come from a person that He sends as a messenger, or whether He has to literally send an angel from heaven to you, it doesn't matter. He will get to your soul what you need. It is not your job to tell the Father how to do that. These are people that try to tell God what to do with His angels. That's a stupid thing to do. Please don't do that, at least as part of a beloved church. It's not your job to be telling angels where to go and what to do and what you think. You're not smart enough to tell angels what to do, I can assure you. You're struggling to tell yourself what to do. After Jesus uh, could not find ministry from his disciples, the Father sent him an angel in Luke 22, 
Right before that, Jesus told Simon, he said, Simon, Simon, the enemy wants to sift you as wheat. The sifting process includes thrashing and winnowing. Thrashing is where you take the wheat and you take something like a broom and you beat it. You buffet it. Not a bat, not a rod, not a rock. You don't crush it. You don't destroy it. You just hit it lightly, but you hit it over and over. You hit it enough to loosen the outer shell. After you got the outer shell loosened, you throw it up into the air and the wind of life will blow away the chaff and then that seed will be exposed. So when Jesus was using this in the negative, what he's talking about is the enemy wants to come in and lightly buffet you and buffet you and buffet you and buffet you until you lower the hedge of protection that the Father has placed on you through His grace and His love and His goodness. Once you get that hedge of protection lowered to the point that the enemy can pick you up and throw you into the wind and waves of life. And then they blow away the rest of your protection... Then you get mad at the church and you quit, you go, and the enemy has fun eating your wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you. Jesus was faithful to minister to the soul of Peter, even though Peter was not faithful to minister to the soul of Jesus. That is such a beautiful truth. Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. I went to a Word of Faith Bible College. And Word of Faith Bible College, you know what we learned about? I know it's going to be deep. Faith. <laughs> Word of Faith, Faith. Okay, you'll catch up. We spent years learning about faith, 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 faith. And it, it was, I learned a ton of really good stuff, okay? So uh, don't. I love my heritage. I am so thankful for my spiritual heritage. So don't, don't think like I'm, I'm beaten down. But what happened was we were so concentrated on faith that I actually exalted faith to basically this thing that is going to bring salvation into my life. I didn't realize I did it. I don't think it was intentionally done by me. And I don't think I was intentionally trained to do that. But it happened. I raised my faith up to basically becoming a form of God in my life. And I know there are people in this room that you're the same way. You are always thinking about faith. I gotta get more faith on this. I gotta get better faith on this. I gotta faith, 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 faith. You, it, you are hurting yourself. You are hurting yourself. You can't get more faith. You got all the faith you're ever gonna get. You are given the measure of faith. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, you have one measure. It is the measure. It is the exact same faith that Jesus Christ has. Galatians 2.20 says, I was crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but the, but God, (laughs) yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. You are living by his faith. You got it from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in Galatians chapter uh, 6, the fruit of the Spirit, or, uh, yeah, Galatians 6, the fruit of the Spirit, says that the Spirit produces these fruits. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, faith. It's God's faith. (laughs) You don't need more faith. You don't have less faith. In fact, when the disciples came... Ooh, this goes right to your question. When the disciples came... 
to Jesus, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And people have been praying this forever. And Jesus turned around and he said, if you had grace, if you had faith, like a mustard seed. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus responded by, if you just had a mustard seed, you can do anything you want. Move mountains, pull up trees, walk on water, whatever you need to do. If you just had a mustard seed. Anybody ever seen a mustard seed? It's pretty tiny. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus said, you got plenty, you got to use what you got. Use what you got. You don't need more faith, you need purer faith. How do you get purer faith? They stop thinking like the world thinks. The world thinks that if you have ten and you subtract two, you got eight. God says if you have ten and you give away two, you have two hundred and eight. If you think at things from God's perspective, from God's kingdom, you know, Jesus sent the disciples away. He said, I'm going to go up in a mountain, hang out with Dad. I'm going to pray all night. You guys go across to the other side. (laughs) I remember the moment. I was literally sitting in my office. I remember the moment saying, "Um, Lord, you sent them away in the boat. (laughs) The boat. Were they going to go by themselves or were you going to join them later? (laughs) And the answer from heaven was a giggle. (laughs) Jesus knew that he was going to go meet them. And since he sent the boat away, Jesus knew how he was going to make that happen. Be it trans-relocate, be it walk on the water, be it fly like a bird. I don't know. that, that's unimportant. The point was, was that Jesus knew that he was going to join them. And I, this is the part that messes us up. Like we would, we would be sitting there and the father would say, hey, come up on the mountain and hang out with me and just be quiet. Get rid of everybody. Send all of your workers across the other side of the lake in the boat. And immediately what we would do is, well, if I send them in the boat, how am I getting across? Right. And then if you're spiritual, you'd say, well, maybe I'm going to do some spiritual thing. I'm going to walk on the water. And then you'd start thinking that one through. Well, what if I trip over a wave? What if a porpoise bites me? Because we do that. You know what Jesus probably didn't do? He probably didn't think about it. Because he was going to go hang out with the Father. <laughs> and he wasn't going to taint the time by trying to figure out how to get back with the boys. Be with the one you're with. Dance with the one that brought you. That's why it didn't matter to him. He wasn't concerned about feeding the 15,000. The 5,000 men that had women and children with them, about 15,000. He wasn't concerned about it. He's like, if I gotta buy food, God will give me the money. If I gotta create food, God will bring two lo- two fish and five loaves. It doesn't matter, fellas. You're missing the point. Right. But we're always missing the point, and then we wonder why we miss the point. Don't miss the point. <laughs> Jesus was saying that the enemy wants to sift you like wheat, but I pray that your faith fail not. 
First John chapter five, verse four. I'm, I just skipped over three of the five things that I said I wanted to tell you. Right there. I just leapfrogged. First John chapter five, verse four says that who's, that whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. This was like word of faith, Bible college, verse number, like, if there was a Ten Commandments, this was in the Ten. <laughs> Habakkuk 2, 4, the just shall live by faith. <laughs> and First John 5, 4. Your faith overcomes the world, Steve. And I remember the Father saying, that's not true. And I argued with him, because I went to Bible college. That's right, God. i got it figured out. I've got a plaque on the wall that proves that I know what I'm talking about when it comes to faith. I will tell you a thing or two about faith, God. I have always read this, that my faith is what's going to bring victory and help me overcome the world. Which again, exalted my faith to this place where I needed to worship and always be focused on my faith. Here's the problem. That verse that you're seeing on the screen right now in the King James, does anybody have a King James paper Bible Turn to that verse open right now? What is wrong? What the heck kind of church am I pastoring? People! All right. That's not a paper Bible. I said a paper Bible open to the King James to that verse. Just so you know. Okay. Thank you, Judy Love. Can you please tell me in your paper Bible, in the King James, the word even, is there something different about that word? It's italicized. Does anybody know what it means when you're reading the King James and a word is italicized? It means that the translators added that word. It wasn't in the Greek. They added that word they, in the hopes of bringing more understanding to what the Greek was trying to say. That doesn't mean that it's always bad. Because sometimes you need, it needs to have a couple extra words to, to get the Greek because sometimes the Greek is really short and so they got to add some words for us to understand. But in this case, if you subtract the italicized word, it changes the entire dynamic of what the Father is trying to say to whosoever is born of Him. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Whosoever is born of God, whosoever that believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. I'm going to do this again because I literally can see the gears cranking. Anybody? Let's do this. Raise your hand. I know that people don't like to move in church. Like, if, if like you feel like you're camouflage. If you sit there, nobody will see you. They don't even know I'm at church. Raise your hand. Listen. For all the people that are awake, raise your hand if you believe you're a whosoever. It might not be you. Maybe you're a whatsoever. 
Okay, so if you raised your hand, you're a whosoever. You believe that with your whole heart, <laughs> with your heart so much so that you literally raised your flipper. So you are a whosoever. Now, if you raised your hand and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the word Christ means Savior, Messiah, Anointed One from God. If you believe that Jesus is from God and He was anointed to bring salvation to your life and you raised your hand, then according to this verse, you are born of God. I know everybody's like, yeah, amen, that's good church. Yeah, heard that when I was in Sunday school. I'm born of God. (laughs) Okay, here's what I'm saying. No, you haven't. You're born of God. I am way out of time, but this is important. <laughs> you are born of God. All right, let's, let's go back. We'll, we'll do kindergarten real quick, and then we'll come over here to college. In kindergarten, you learned, probably, maybe, that two dogs, when they have a baby, we call that a puppy. Anybody learn that? Did I throw anybody off? Do I need to have a talk with any of the young people in the room? We'll talk later. Okay. So two dogs, when they reproduce, have a puppy. That puppy, in essence, in nature, in DNA, and even a little bit physically, resembles... Nearly perfectly what it came from. So dogs reproduce puppies, give birth to. A puppy is born of dog. A kitty. I'm still in kindergarten. A kitty is born of cat. Everybody okay? I haven't lost anybody? Okay, so here's where we find out how much religion you have. So if you are born of God, everybody's nodding at me, but nobody's going to shout this. Because you've been told saying these kind of things, thinking these kind of thoughts is blasphemous and wrong and evil and... If you are born of God, what is your species? (laughs) Now, if we're going to be honest, a bunch of you don't believe that. Well, if I was born of God, I'd know it. Really? Because the kitty knows it when they come out. Well, I see that there's a giraffe and there's a seal and I'm a cat. Well, then I will meow. You're laughing. Because you're applying that here, but you're not applying that here. Well, if I was born of God, I'd know it. Really? What would be different? What was different about Jesus when he came out of Mary 
that was different about you when you came out of your mama? He believed it. You don't. You believe it in like, like you're not going to argue with this. Like you're not going to write me later like, well, I went into the real Greek and it doesn't actually say born of God. No, it actually says born of God. If you look this up, this word born is the word begat. Does anybody remember learning the begats? It's begat. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 2, literally the second verse of the entire New Testament, it says begat three times. Abraham begat. (laughs) Isaac begat. And then verse 3, it said three times. Verse 4, three times. Verse 5, three times. Go look it up. In the begat, it's this guy begat, this guy begat, this guy begat, this guy. And this is the exact same begat. It could say, whosoever believes that Jesus Christ is begat of God. God birthed you. And I know we're like, yeah, but no, but yeah, but no. Like if God was going to make something like, I've seen this thing naked, this ain't the begat part. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) I have gone swimming with some of you. This ain't the begat part. (laughs) That's why you're throwing, because we're so engaged with this that we think this is it. Or we're so in touch with our feelings and our emotions that we think that's the real us. If I had a dollar for every time that somebody said, well, this is just the way that I am. I just blow up on people. I'm just a type A personality. I just cuss all the time. I just say terrible things. I just do this. I'm just addicted to this. No, you're not. That's not you. That's not the real you. That's just this outside, inside version. The real you is begat. Begat. To the degree that you believe that you're a begat, you'll live out begat. You don't have to teach a kitten to meow. It just doesn't. It was born to do it. If you're born of God, do I need to teach you how to be righteous? No, you just see your father. You spend time with your father. You learn how your father operates. You, (laughs) another preacher friend of mine says that the best way that you can go about living like a son is to just pretend like you're the father all day. And I know that's going to mess with you. And you know, I can't pretend like I'm God. I know the reason you can't pretend is because you actually are. You just don't know what it looks like. Jesus didn't know what it looked like to send the disciples away in the boat. The Father figured it out. Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Faith in what? Whosoever is born of God. If you have faith, if you actually would believe... That you are born of God. If you actually would believe that you are a new creation. Victory over this world 
would come so natural that you wouldn't even know it's taking place. You fighting against the darkness of the world, you fighting against the enemy trying to make thoughts or do things, you fighting, fighting, but you literally actually are part of the enemy's victory. Because he's got you all subtracted. He's got you engaged in a fight with him. As long as you're fighting with him, you can't love your father, love your neighbor, change your world, bless the Lord. Because you're fighting with him. And I'm telling you, there's a ton of Christians that are there. They're in a fight with Satan all day long. Oh, boy, let me tell you what I did today, Pastor. I woke up and I got into spiritual warfare. And then all day long I spent it. And I, I prayed for eight hours against the enemy because here's what he was doing in my mind. I'm like, dear Jesus. I spent eight hours in a row. I forgot that the devil existed. You spent eight hours talking to him. How much time did Jesus spend messing with Satan? The only time Jesus ever messed with Satan was when Satan came to him. And it was like over like, are you tempting me, Peter? Satan, get behind me. Are you for real right now? I got stuff to do. I ain't got time for you. You don't have time for him. You have some really important God things to do. Jesus said in John 16.33, He says that I'm giving you my peace. Now check this. And I know i got to be done. I'm done. I got you. Everybody's giving me that look. I got you. Jesus said, I'm giving you my peace. Now Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Isaiah 26.3 says that He gives perfect peace. So there's a perfect peace and there's an imperfect peace. Imperfect peace comes and goes. People, it's by external circumstances. It's from lack of warfare or something like that. But Jesus has a peace that he always was in, no matter where he was and what he was doing, what was going on. There's a perfect peace that Jesus was giving access to the disciples from him. He said, I'm giving you my peace. Like it's like the signature card. Like he signed it and gave him the card. I'm giving you my peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. The world tribulation means pressure from all sides until you're trapped. That's literally, if you look it up, the word tribulation, it's thipsis in the Greek. It literally means pressure from every side until you're trapped. Anybody ever felt like that before? (laughs) That's tribulation. Thipsis. That's what the world is doing. The world is making it so you literally believe you have no way of escape. Pressure from every side. And it's on the inside. Pressure from every side on the inside. But, be of good cheer, I have, past tense, overcome the world. Okay, John chapter 16 is before Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 26 that my soul is greatly sorrowful even unto death. So Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And then a couple hours later, he tells the guys that he asked to pray for him, my soul is so sorrowful that it's ready to die. I have overcome the world. My soul is so sorrowful that it's ready to die. Which of these, is Jesus a liar? No. 
How do you say this and then experience this? This is where you're at, beloved. Because you've been given the victory. But you're so wrapped up in this that you think that this is real and true. Jesus knew then that he had victory here. Now, I hope you get this. This is the only deep thing that I could leave on you because of the way I use the time. He said, I am in victory. I have overcome the world. And then the world got on him so hard that his soul almost died. And that's not, he wasn't just mixing language, y'all. That was for real. Like his soul was that. He sweat blood. Ain't a person in here ever resisted the world to the point where you've sweat blood. Not one of you. And probably never will. He did. He, it was literal that he could have been killed by the world, by the, by the world in his soul because of the pressure, the thipsis it was putting on his soul. So much so that the father had to send him an angel to minister to him. And yet, he said, I have overcome the world. You know why? Because he knew that this was a moment. And he knew he would be victorious. That's the difference between Jesus going through his thipsis and you going through your thipsis. When you're in your thipsis, oh God, this is going to take me out. This is the one. This is it. Going bankrupt today, honey. Jesus said, I have already overcome. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Believing in what your Father has already done in you. Made you a new creation and born you of Him. Begat you of Him. If you understand your begat of Him and that you have already overcome the world because of what He's done, then when you're in your thipsis, no problem. If the Father has to send you a minister, if the Father has to send you an angel, if the Father has to send a donkey to talk to you, it doesn't matter. I promise you, the Father will be faithful and you will experience the victory. Now, there are people in this room. I'm done. There are people in this room that really, truly, really, truly, you have never allowed the Father to birth you. And make you a son. You've gone to churches. You've gone through confirmation or catechism. or You've done like a bunch of the intellectual stuff. You understand these concepts. But you have never allowed yourself to literally die. And to come out of the womb of the Father's heart. As an image of Him. And I would be remiss if I did not give an opportunity for, a, for people to become sons today. You are not by default, because you're an American, a son of God. You are not by default because you sit in a church a son of God. I can sit in a garage and go vroom vroom. It doesn't make me a Ferrari. You have to choose this on purpose. You have to allow the crucifixion to be your crucifixion, but allow the resurrection to be your resurrection. And there is a lot of people that I think that they go through in an intellectual and or an emotional experience with the Father and they've never truly just laid it down and allowed Him to birth them as a son of God. 
and I want you to have that opportunity today. If you would like for me to pray with you to have that happen, I would like for you to raise your hand, and I am going to pray with you, and we are going to have the Father birth you into sonship today. And there's no pressure on you to or not to. But a bunch of people live in religion, and religion cannot birth you. Religion can only bind you. That's the purpose of religion, is to bind you. The purpose of the Spirit of God is to bring freedom and liberty. And you have to submit to it. You have to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that He can birth you. All right. For those of you that did that, I'm going to pray this over you, so just receive that. Father, you see these hearts. You see that they have come to the end of themselves. You see that they no longer want to live in a world of their own creation, that they're coming humbly to you and allowing you to be their father. So, Father, I thank you right now. You are literally birthing them. You are birthing them. You are washing away the old. Everything old is being washed away, flushed away, never to be seen again. And behold, everything is becoming new. And a complete newness in their emotions, a complete newness in their memories, a complete newness in their identity. And it's all from you. From now on, they see themselves only as a son of God and no longer as a product of this world. I pray this over them in the name, the nature, character, honor, essence, and authority of Jesus Christ. If you receive that, say amen. 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 Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon. Thank you.